Welcome to another episode of the Dentology Podcast, where we discuss the business of dentistry. In this podcast series, we'll be discussing all the non-clinical aspects of dentistry, from goodwill values, finance, marketing, how to buy and sell a dental practice mindset, through to where you can invest your money in team management issues. My name is Andy Acton, and I'm joined by my co-host, Chris Trevens. Let's jump straight into it. I think people are going to take so much from that episode with Harry Singh. Yeah, I think what's interesting is he has this really big persona and and listening to him for that, that that time, you know a bit more about it. You get behind him, like get underneath his skin. Mm. I love the fact that uh, Richard Branson is now just Richard. Just Richard, <laughs> yeah. But also someone who uh, is constantly evolving and looking for the next opportunity, you know, yeah. qualified in dentistry, but got other businesses that came out of it. But a really well thought out approach to what mm. he's doing and a, a really smart guy. Really I think, smart guy. I think for me, one of the, the smart things was the start something, realize it's not quite working because the market's not quite right and you're not quite right. Stopping, waiting five years, mm. then restarting. I think people will find that quite interesting. Mm. But also his commitment to personal development and that lifelong mm. learning. And when he got an opportunity to go and spend some time with Richard Branson, he grabbed it. Is that um, Richard? It was, yeah. <laughs> it was brilliant. It was really good. No, it was really good. Really enjoyable episode. So welcome. Uh, today, um, we are so fortunate. We've had some cracking guests on, but this one is an absolute corker. We're joined by Harry Singh. Harry's a dentist. He's Harry the, who? Harry, Harry Singh. Oh, Harry, Harry Singh, Singh, right. Yeah, okay. Everybody knows Harry. Of course they Everybody do. Knows Come on. So Everybody a, does. So he's a dentist. He's the founder of the Botulinum Toxin Club and a facial aesthetics guru, founder of the Dental Property Club, and an author as well. Welcome, Harry. How are you doing? Thank you. Yeah, I, I thought you were going to say uh, we've got someone inspiring, awesome. They couldn't make it today, so we've got a standing. <laughs> oh. I was I was contemplating it. I, I think anyone that is announced as a guru, there's no pressure on that then, is there, right? Absolutely not. And I didn't even mention <coughs> an avid Liverpool fan as well. Yeah, can you tell oh, from yeah. my Scouse accent from North London? <laughs> so... Yeah, yeah. <laughs> mental Liverpool fan. Try to get the kids involved. They're not interested. So just me going alone. Oh, really? Not interested? Yeah, not interested in football, cricket. Yeah, well. I think they're true Indians. Don't play cricket. Perhaps you do walk alone after all. Yeah, yeah that's it. They don't like spicy food, so I'll go. <laughs> so failing. Yeah, no, no, it's good. Um, good season last season. Um and actually, um, I know you guys are avid readers, but I know um, Klopp and his um, assistant just launched a book on their training methods and their philosophy. Just, uh, just quite. Oh, okay. So, um, the name. Oh, that'd be it, It's really good in terms of how they get the intensity, how they get the team bonding, mm. training, and everyone together in terms of unity. So mm. That'd be my next read. Have they done a Netflix documentary there? I don't think so. I no. bet they must be on it. I mean, I'm I'm watching Arsenal's All or Nothing. Yeah, I, I think which is start, quite entertaining. I was going to say, I think they started with the lower teams. They did Tottenham. They've done Arsenal. <laughs> They'll <laughs> probably move on to Manchester United and Liverpool at, at some point. Um, for those of you listening in uh, <laughs> September 2022, um, I would refer you to the league table and the performance so far. But anyway, just moving on. Um, not that back, I'm back, a, back to normal business. Yeah, back, back to, to normal, normal business. business. Yeah, I yeah, mean, definitely. on that point, Harry, I'm always fascinated at the link between high-performing sports teams and business and the stuff we can learn yeah, yeah. from that in terms of culture, 
how to manage a tribe, you know, how to motivate people. I think there's so much we can learn from that. So now that would be um, a really interesting read, I'm sure. Yeah. And I, I love autobiographies from you know, sports people to see, yeah, how they came over the pressures, how they mainly how they're so consistent. I think what we want because obviously we all wake up yes. some mm. days demotivated, but it's been that consistency throughout 10, 15, 20 year career. Yeah. Mm. Mm. And depending on what sport you're in, you know, to be the best of the best, you know, that is phenomenal. I mean, I know he gets kind of um, highlighted a lot, but Alex Ferguson as a, as a football manager, you know, to manage a club and those players over two decades and that consistency of, of continuing to perform at that level. You know, there's there's very few people in other walks of life that, that achieve that sort of success and, and we should learn so much and to keep it like fresh that. I think yeah. that must be the hard thing you know when anyone's managed a team and I don't mean like a football team but you know even when you've got a team of people and you you say the same thing and you can imagine some of the people who've been here like five years oh here we go again oh, yeah, right. so, so <laughs> you've got to try and keep that re-delivery of the same message in either an enthusiastic message or in a slightly different way so mm. it, it resonates with those people even though I mean that must be you know over 20 years oh yeah you can't keep saying the yeah. same old schnizzle yeah. can you because no. the guys have been sitting there going yeah all right hurry up Alex yeah. uh, I want to go and have a bath yeah. I'd uh, love to get your review once you've read the book Harry yeah, it'd be good to have a chat and get your, your review it's been that. like marriage so, isn't it 20 years saying the same stuff to the wife <laughs> yeah hmm. exactly so you started off by saying that, that <laughs> your kids haven't taken your lead from football and your your children don't like spicy food um, you said that when when you were young, your your parents said to you, "You can be a, a doctor, or a dentist, or a failure." You know, which is it going to be? Yeah. Um, what 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 were your parents like when you were young? What were your parents like in terms of how they 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 manage you? Have you got have you got siblings? Or yeah, yeah I'm, a, I'm a middle child, so they were very right. very strict, and it's quite funny. I resented that when I was growing up because all my friends could go on holiday, could go to the right. pub, etc. And but then. Um, I respected the way they brought me up because I see my friends now um, struggling with life, um, personal problems. And I've got, because I had that strictness, um, that really bowed me well for my work ethic. So, yeah, growing up as a middle child, um, two boys, one girl. What did they do, Harry, your, your parents? What did they do? Um, well, it's funny because... As in work-wise. Uh, I was going to say, get the slipper out and the cane and the stuff. But they, so they, <laughs> <laughs> so they um, were factory workers. So they were um, educated back in India. One was um, My mum was a maths teacher. My dad was a headmaster. But when they came in the 1960s, their qualifications weren't recognised. And like a lot of immigrants, they thought they would only stay here for three, four years, build up enough money, go back home. But then they just ended up making this their home. So yeah, they were factory, and they had two jobs. So they would work um, in a car. My mum wow. worked in a sewing machine factory. My dad worked in a car parts factory. Then in the evening, they'd work in a um, food um, packaging um, thing. And actually, they got me a job there. So I was, most of my school holidays, I was working there. And that, I think I respect that because the work ethic and also you can be anything you want if you work mm. hard, be sensitive. But, but also there's a message in there as well, Harry, that, you know, life doesn't always, you don't keep moving forward and upwards. You know, these are two qualified teachers from their home country who come to England and, and their qualifications not recognised. So from a status point of view, 
you know, arguably their their qualifications back in India are putting them on a different plane to when they, they arrived in England, yeah. let alone all the issues that would have been associated with Indian people coming to England in the 60s. It's, it's, it's a real kind of, in many ways, a step backwards. But but was their driver to give a better life for their kids? Yeah, yeah. Is that kind and, of yeah. the, and, and, what was underpinning their decision? Yeah, that was their decision. And then it's education was critical. I remember dad, my dad's telling mm. stories when he was in India, five, it took him five miles to walk to his school. And I think that was also really oh, education wow. granted in this country because we've got such a good education system is free to everyone. We take that for granted and then parts for other world where they actually want to learn, but maybe they can't learn or because of poverty, mm. as was well our good friend Shaz, obviously helping Wells on Wheels in terms of children can't go to school yeah. in yeah. water. And that's what it was like in India. And I go, we take it for granted. And that's why I did really work really. I mean, in combination of their strictness and also their bias towards education. I did really well in school and both my siblings did because that was drummed into us. Education, then you can choose your career, your pathway, and you're much more stable. Yeah, and then um, because I was good at science, they said, okay, either, I well, I said to them, I want to um, be an actor and stuff. And they go, they were quite blunt. They go, yeah, <laughs> really? your face is too ugly for TV. You're never going to make it. Uh, maybe radio. <laughs> so they said um, doctor, dentist, or pharmacist. That was the three options I had wow. when I was growing up. And then it's only because of work experience, the dentists I met were so passionate, so motivated. Um, it also helped. I saw his car and I saw his watch. I go, okay, it must be quite a good job to have there. So... <laughs> um, it's funny you say work experience. So, so was that was that arranged through school? Yeah, you you, you yeah. did work experience at a dental practice. Yeah, for a dental practice. It's so funny. We've we've heard. I mean, we, we we've we've done this for a while now, and I don't know. We've probably done sixty plus episodes, but there's probably been five or six different dentists who got the bug when being they the did practice, work yeah. experience. Yeah. And I wonder whether, and, and I don't know the answer to it, whether the work experience program in schools is as strong as it used to be mm, and no, people are getting know. those early insights to what could be a career or, or whether work experience now doesn't really have the shape that it did well, back in the Everyone in wants to be an Instagram influencer or uh, YouTube. Yeah, YouTube. Yeah, yeah, that's going to work. work. But I think they, they don't allow dentistry as work experience, I think, because of health and safety. So, because obviously my son's 16, mm. daughter's 14, they're at that age where they're looking at work experience. And dentistry does, is right. not one on the list. But I think, yeah, and luckily for me, the dentist I saw was really motivated and passionate about the job. Um, and you can imagine some of the kids mm. going to some of the work experience with some of the dentists on Facebook now that moan all the time. Imagine a 14-year-old impressionable student yeah. going to one day, dentist, they would never go into dentistry. Mm. Yeah. Are you are you still in touch with that dentist? Yeah, yeah, yeah. 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 Retired because it's in Hitchin, which is um, quite close to where I live in Steve. Right. Oh, right. Okay. Kept in touch with him. He retired, sold his practice. He actually offered um, me to buy his practice. Um, so wow. um, it wasn't suitable for me at that time. But no, yeah, still kept in touch and just thank him. No, I remember is that mm. even when I went to university, we had to get um, teeth for extractions for practicing. And I would go every summer to him and he would always save me a jar of teeth and take it back to university to practice our skills on. That's brilliant. Mm, it's That's funny, brilliant. isn't it? We we often don't appreciate the impact that, that people can have, these small little nuggets and moments of things that happen. And yeah, in, that, in that moment for him, it was just a kid came in for work experience. And who would have thought that would have shaped your, your career yeah. because he was enthusiastic and positive and that, that, 
put you on the path. And mm. in that moment for him, it was just you doing a nice, I say they nice don't, thing. I think they no. don't appreciate it. You always, I always think to myself, I hope that sometime there'll be something that I might have said to someone <laughs> who they might go, Yes, I remember Chris said that. Yeah. Uh, you'll never know. No, but I just no. think it happens so often, doesn't it, when you go, oh, actually, I remember, you know, in my case, Blake called Ian, you know, he said either work harder or just enjoy yourself as you are. Um, and it made me think, yeah, okay, probably need to roll your sleeves up a bit. So yeah, yeah. Uh, you just sort of hope, don't you, you've left an imprint on yeah, someone. Like, so, what were your, so what were your teenage... So yeah. Sorry, go on, Harry. Yeah, it's like we all write articles and you think that one's reading them and that gets to, I get then to say, I remember that article you did eight years ago or five years ago and I've I implemented or made, it resonated with me. So as you say, you never know who's listening or mm. who's reading what you post. Mm. Yeah. So at what point was it, was it the work experience that then put you on that path? You were obviously good at science, which is a great start point, but it was it that that then really honed your thinking of, right, I'm going to get to dental school. What are the grades? What does that look like? Where do I go? Yeah. Yeah. So yeah. So yeah. Studied hard, got good, really good A-level results, um, went for interviews throughout university. And also I made a conscious decision not to study too close to home um, because obviously I wanted some freedom, um, be more independent. So, well, especially if they'd been very yeah, strict by the sounds yeah. thing. And then um, went up north, up to Leeds, which I really loved, best time ever. And then it's quite thanks to my son's just about to do A levels. Go make sure you get to university. It's the best time of your life, and you get lifelong friendships, experiences. But what happened was because uh, obviously in the third, there's a lot of Indians that um, people can go two ways. They could have been too sheltered, and I saw it with my dental colleagues and medical colleagues. They got too sheltered and first time experience freedom. They just went crazy, drinking every night, missed all their lectures, yeah. failed all their exams. And I would say there's about 22 Asians, Indian, Pakistani um, that um, failed their exam because their parents were so strict and they got just so carried away um, and they didn't study. Wow. So, yeah, you just got to be careful. And I was quite conscious of that uh, mm. in terms of enjoying your life but not getting too carried away. Mm. Mm. I think there's a similar thing that happens in America. In America, you can't drink alcohol until you're 21. And in the northern state, in New York State, lots of the kids cross the border to Canada because you can drink when I think you're either 16 or 18 in Canada. And because they've never been exposed to alcohol, they all cross the border, get absolutely, (laughs) you know, wasted. Um, because it's that thing of, of you know, there's been no freedom. Kind of, yeah, there's been no freedom and there's been no building up. So I think you're right. I think, you know, strictness is great, but you also need to prepare people for the next stage of their life. It's a balance, um, isn't it? So obviously you were in Leeds back in 96, which seems an awful long time ago, and I can't believe you're still looking so good on it, to be honest <laughs> with you, giving you a bit of a hell raise. No, I, th- I think you'll find the connection's a bit fuzzy. Or is it a filter? Yeah, I think it's just a bit fuzzy. <laughs> it's not. It's not giving a, tr- a, a true pixelation of Harry. <laughs> so we we get quite a lot of younger younger dentists listening to this. So what was it like studying dentistry back in back in the sort of the the mid late nineties? What was it? Yeah, like it was like quite in your experience? Uh, the tutors. Obviously, the tutors were very strict. Obviously, there was no PC um, policies around there. So, but what I found, there was a lot of hands-on experience, whether it was that time in, mm. or whether it's because it's further north, the dental health was a bit poorer. And then I got so much clinical experience up there because I remember doing VT or whatever it's called these days. So VT my year, and I was back in London, 
compared yeah. to the people that qualified from London, the clinical experience was amazing that I, I had had. Um, actually went really, really quick and stuff, enjoyed, yeah, and what I say is people, yeah, work hard, play hard, the social aspect. Um, but yeah, I really enjoyed it. But yeah, it was it was tough teaching. They were, did you do any amateur dramatics when you were there, Harry? No, maybe after a few drinks in the karaoke bar, but not. <laughs> I was wondering if you used it as an opportunity to get your acting sort of like you could have been like Footlights yeah, yeah, or whatever it was at Cambridge. Or something yeah, yeah. I just wondered. Yeah, no, I think it got drummed out of me, so I never pursued that. But I played a lot of sports ah, cricket, and okay. um, that was really good. But yeah, no, yeah, it were, it, it wasn't easy with dentistry, but. Um, because it's long terms compared to other students. I remember my first year as halls of residence, I shared a flat with a guy next to me. He was studying history and he was doing about six hours a week while us guys were doing about, um, what was it, 28, 30 hours a week studying and stuff. So wow. yeah, mm. I'll be waking up seven o'clock in the morning and my shower and he like, could be in bed until two o'clock in the afternoon there. So same mm. again, longer mm. terms. It's interesting. Yeah, it's interesting what you say about the the extent of the hands-on clinical experience. I'm not sure whether there's necessarily as as much no, of that. That's the feedback we hear. We've got yeah. that perhaps people don't come out um, having treated so many you know patients in different scenarios as perhaps they would have liked. Yeah. Well, who was that person we were talking to who said that uh, that that I can't remember who it was, but the, their FD had never done an extraction until yeah. they came to the. Yeah, I, can't who, well, yeah. I can't remember for the practice yeah. for the FD, and it was like. He was like, "What are they doing?" <laughs> it's and it's quite funny when yeah. you when you qualify, yeah. so you, call- you think you know it all, and then when you go into your first year, you're packing yeah. up. Oh my god, <laughs> you, you can't take this hmm. to do yeah. a um, amalgam restoration. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, I think it can't so, be beautifully crafted. The thing is, so many things in life. There's the technical learning of something, and then there's the application of it in a real life setting where you've got a real patient yeah. mm. and you've got you know real concerns and they might be nervous and you've got a real life environment and you're working with other people and when you you put that into the pot you can be technically gifted at something but if you can't manage all the other elements around mm, it definitely, you're going yeah. to struggle yeah. i mean you probably found it with the younger dentists they spend probably more time doing notes than the actual treatment and obviously in our day it was a simple yeah. exam smp <laughs> sign it that's it Mm. Yeah. Yeah. Defensive dentistry. We've been. I mean, it's very interesting because a lot of the the principals say, you know, the new guys they're coming out and they are very good at notes, yeah, yeah. Um, so as they don't get sued, yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> but but not very swift on the dentistry. It's fascinating, mm. really. Mm. So you you did your dentistry for a reasonable period of time, but then your career headed off in the direction of facial aesthetics and you also had a, a property business as well and when you started doing facial aesthetics is it was that around about 2002 when yeah you started i started in 2002 but it didn't really take off because i didn't really know the marketing or the business aspects and a lot of dentists i were in some mm-hmm. they start off anything that's more cosmetic or private led and I gave up for two. But also, Harry, in your in, in, Harry, in, in your defence as well, I think back in two thousand two, it was very time. cutting edge. It, you know, we talk about facial aesthetics now because it's so mainstream. Yeah. But when you were starting out back then, it really was a a new form of treatment. Yeah. So there's, there's that kind of you were a real early adopter. Yeah, and there was a patient stigma. They didn't want anyone to know. Um, it was hard to yeah. advertise, but. Yeah, I actually stopped doing it, but then readdressed it in 2007 because 
I had to because I opened a private squat in Hatfield. Um, 2007, as you know, we had the recession, 2007, 2008, and it was a private squat and then all the private patients disappeared because obviously they were saving money, not spending money on elective treatments, but mm. the facial aesthetics really took off. And I think it was people, because it was a cheaper service, but also they wanted to pick me up, feel good factor. And because yeah. that, to make them look yeah. good, yeah, it's proven. Yeah. And yes, yeah, with depression and obviously certain toxin treatments. So, and then people, and then I had to learn the marketing, I had to learn my techniques, readdressed it, and then it really took off. And then I looked at my figures again, okay, facial aesthetics doesn't really cost me any money apart from materials. Dentistry, I've got all the lease equipment for the dental chair, radio, radiology equipment, um, sterilization. Um, it's making me less money. Why not just stop dentistry and just do facial aesthetics? And I enjoyed it more because patients wanted to see you. It's not like I would never yeah. have the patient say to me, I hate the dentist, nothing personal. When I was doing facial aesthetics, I mean, I thought every yeah. dentist had that conversation or remark from a dental nervous patient. So, yeah, I think it's because of that recession, I, it forced me to actually really concentrate on the face aesthetics model, business, and I learned about marketing business. But what I did, I went on to different conferences that was non-dental related. So I'll go to an internet marketing mm-hmm. conference. I'll go to a state agent conference because business is business in the long term. So what could work in one industry, transferring yeah. those um, yeah. strategies and tactics to my business because as you know, especially with dentistry, because it's such a small, closed community, if someone does something that's really pioneering, then obviously other people follow. There's a bit of a lag. And everyone's copying everyone else. And it's hard to yeah. differentiate yourself. For example, like Whitening Wednesdays, one dentist created that. Then now everyone started doing Whitening Wednesdays, etc. So yeah, different yeah. businesses. And then I think my skill was learning from one industry, transferring it to my industry to make it work. Mm. So you you started in two thousand two. You binned it till two thousand and seven, and then it took off. If you could have your time again, going back to two thousand and two, would you have dug in, committed, learned the marketing, and and pushed harder, and and not left it, or or would you do it differently? Actually, I probably would have done the same because between two thousand. So when I gave up facial aesthetics, I concentrated more on private dentistry, cosmetic, and you know those days it was like mm-hmm. five five mm-hmm. veneers teeth whitening was coming we didn't do much bonding yeah and then yeah 2007 to 2010 the aesthetics really went, went well then 2010 to 2012 the private density started coming back so then we started doing invisible mm-hmm. short-term ortho teeth whitening so i don't regret that initial period because otherwise i wouldn't have had those dental clinical skills to implement between 2010 mm. 2012 because yeah like any side hustle let's say facial say side hustle you want to build it up on the side so do your bread and butter and then you get to a stage where your side hustle takes over you don't need your bread and butter then i that's when i gave up dentistry in 2012 because the facial aesthetics took over the bread and butter dentistry so i'll probably change mm. everything mm. i'm a big believer everything happens to you for a reason every setback yeah, for a yeah. reason. Yeah. Something like that. I see yeah. that. On on the on the day, did did you plan your last day of dentistry and your last patient? Do you, do you actually remember that day, or no, was it just the next no. day? It just so happened you didn't you didn't do dentistry. Yeah. <laughs> what I wanted to do ideally was get all my rude, the worst patients in the waiting room, and then obviously make some kind of gesture to them. But because I was still registered with 
<laughs> because I was so registered with the GPC, I, I, didn't, I didn't want to risk getting struck off. So I didn't. I know, actually, I don't remember the last patient or the last. I remember my first patient. Yeah. Imagine. You imagine that, yeah. though. That would be very entertaining, wouldn't it? If you if you never wanted to be a dentist ever yeah. again, you'd book them all in. Yeah, we'd book them all in, pretend I was blind, have a white walking stick and a guide. I'll go, who's next? <laughs> There's nothing. There. <laughs> it plays out really well in your head, but in reality, yeah, in practicality, it, it, yeah, be quite a good sketch. I was actually. Gonna say, when you're in front of the GDC, it's probably not quite so funny, is it? There. But I, I could do it now because I, I don't, um, I don't practice too much, and I've got other people, so, but I'm still registered with GDC, so I could do it now because I don't need, I don't need to be registered, so it'd be good. Sure. Yeah. So, uh, so then you you were you were facial assessment practitioner. You you were delivering those treatments, and it's moved on because now you've obviously got the botulinum toxin club yeah. BTC, um, which obviously helps other people um, upgrade their skills and, and market those services. Can you tell us what you know what is BTC and how's that come about? Yeah, it was exactly the same as like the recession and the private squat. Is I no intention to teach. So 2012, Gay Right Dentistry did face aesthetics, still networked with other dentists. And then when I t- they um, heard I'd given up dentistry, obviously most dentists think, have you got struck off? Because no one in those days would volunteer give up dentistry. <laughs> 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 <That's harsh, laughs> <laughs> Instant negative thought. <laughs> Brilliant. It was. Um, obviously, it's quite common. That not as much more common now, dentists giving up dentistry. But in 2012, it wasn't. So, uh, and when yeah. I told them I hadn't got struck off, you could see the disappointment on their face that, no, God, he still, he didn't get struck off. <laughs> yeah. um, and then I told them what I did, facial aesthetics, and they had a similar story to me. They said, I've oh, been on a course, we haven't implemented mm. facial aesthetics, we've wasted that money and time, can you teach us how to do it? So because there was a demand and a need for it, I saw the gap in the market. That's when yeah. I set up um, BTC 2014. Um, helping dentists and other med- medical professionals implement face aesthetics. So, yeah, we do the clinical training like mm. most academies, but our USP is more looking at the business side because you could be the best clinician, but it's always the best known clinician that outperforms. And yes. we never mm. get taught business or marketing. So true. so true. It's like Amazon. Amazon don't have the best mm. author. They always have a selling author. So business is about mm. profit. So that's where... BTC has their certain USP in terms of looking at the marketing, the sales, the patient journey, um, because, well, especially male dentists, they would say to a patient, you look a bit haggard today, you need some Botox. Uh, they would end up with a black eye at night. So there's how you... <laughs> Full of charm. Yeah, yeah. um, and, and because I had that same struggle that dentists were having, then I could relate to that and obviously get them to implement faces mm. into their dental surgeries. Mm. Are you looking a bit tired? No, I don't know what you'd say. <laughs> yeah. well, but it clearly works because, you know, you know. So Sorry, what did you say? I used the negative, so the patient. So what I would say, when I first started off in face surgery, I would say, that's it, it's Mrs. Jones. I go, Mrs. Jones, I know you will not be interested. Just to let you know, we've started off in face aesthetics. If you know anyone interested, here's five of our cars. So if they're interested, they'll butt in. If they're not interested, oh, they'll tell five people. You've not offended them. Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, yeah. yeah no. Because I can sort out those wrinkles. Yeah. <laughs> That's what, yeah, no, no. Very smart. Very smart. 
and and it's it's obviously grown because you've now got you, you have an annual conference you have a party all your you know people that use you and are working with you turn up and so it's it's clearly there's a need for it and and you are you are kind of the guy you are the guy that, that everybody will be talking about in this in this part of the world was that uh, was was it the btc party that i saw you running around doing something would that have been yeah, the uh, rocky, did some yeah, sort the of like bonkers yeah, marketing yeah. <laughs> yeah, so yeah. grab attention yeah. See, that's your actor, Harry. That's your that's your repressed actor coming to the fore. But I think that 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 that's a bit of you because, from a marketing point of view, you are great and you do do things that are a bit edgy. And it's interesting to hear you it say was that it was you good. yeah that you look outside of dentistry because you're right. So many people just copy one another, mm. and also the same ideas and people keep moving around dentistry. And obviously, mm. somebody else that, that uh, I, I know you have an interest in and you've kind of studied is Richard Branson. Uh, and he's quite a, a gregarious marketeer in how he goes about oh, it. That was and smooth. <laughs> I thought like that was slick as a like cashmere cod piece, yeah. mate. That was yeah. very slick, <laughs> very smooth. I did. I like that. Yeah, yeah. Hey, you brought it all together. Yeah. You've now reintroduced it. That, that, like, that is like, yeah. <laughs> oh. And last year, you were fortunate to spend some time on Necker Island with. Richard Branson, weren't yeah, you? I, f- I don't think my wife's still forgiving me for that. So I said it was network. And obviously one of the things, that I got invited to that because of my network and as well as going to different conferences, I'm a big believer in like you guys are networking, mm. networking, networking. And mm. then, yeah, and one of the guys that was organizing, it was a weeks away business networking. They had a couple of spaces available. So they said, are you interested in coming? Obviously I bit his head and hand off. So... Yeah. yeah, it was really good in terms of obviously, which is not guaranteed to be there, but they always book a conference or the networking with these there. And I just saw his energy, his passion. Yeah. He would meet us for breakfast every morning, seven o'clock. He'd be training two hours every day. So he has about a 45 minute coaching lesson and tennis coaching. He loves tennis. He's got two tennis courts. Then he goes for a swim to swim to the other tennis court, which is about three quarters mile away. And then he has another half an hour tennis coaching lesson. Super fair, but really, yeah, non-PC, says what he wants. Reminded me of Benny Hill and some of the comments he was making. What was it? I won't hear them on your podcast. (laughs) Was that music playing in the background? Did (laughs) you hear? (laughs) He was chasing me around the island and stuff. So, (laughs) there, but it was quite, so on the first night, um, I was sitting for dinner with everyone else and we had to introduce each other. And then we got chatting and then the lady I was talking to organized the water sports because um, Richard loves kite surfing and they do a lot of kite surfing over there. And I just yeah. said to her, I can't swim. And then she goes, oh, if you do meet Richard, tell him that because he loves to teach people to swim. And the last person he taught was Desmond Tutu. So I go, okay then. So every morning, come oh, for wow. breakfast, seven o'clock. And then he would sit at the head of the table. So the second... The, penultimate day second to last day I, I got up early six o'clock sat next to that seat just waited for him he comes down at seven o'clock as usual it's only me and him um start he starts eating a croissant and he gets a bit of a crumb on his um beard and i said to him, richard you've got a crumb he keeps going up there and i go no, it's that side he goes you have it you do it so i do it and then obviously i bring up um, just like uh, andy did i goes oh i'm really gutted i couldn't take part in the water sports we're leaving tomorrow because i can't swim doesn't say anything for half an hour, Garth. I've lost my opportunity. Then he says, turns around to me as he's about to leave. Harry, do you want to learn to swim? I go, yeah. He goes, come to my villa at midday and I'll teach you to swim in half an hour. Well, that's the kind of guy he is. Like, I'm a nobody and he's got, 
he wants to spend half an hour with me, multi-billionaire, to teach me how to swim. So get to his house, his wife's there, he's eating mm. popcorn, watching MTV music. Um, and I don't know if you want to broadcast this, but what, all I was thinking is, please let her choke. I rescue her. And then Richard goes, here's 10 million pounds for saving my wife. <laughs> <laughs> That's what I was thinking in my head. <laughs> um, that never happened, unfortunately. Um, but then he took me to his pool, got inside the pool, and he's taught me un- underwater how to swim within half an hour. And then he goes, keep in touch, let me know if he continues swimming, etc. So, um, but as you said, everyone's read his books, Losing My Virginity, Screw It, Let's Do It. He's like, yeah, he's a pioneer, he takes calculated mm. risk. And I, I follow a bit, like, just be yourself because everyone else is taken. And I see that not people not mm-hmm. found those, you know, are sticking, but they try to be too political. I go, look, and I tried to be like that a couple of years ago, well, more than a couple of years ago. But because I'm, I'm not everyone's um, Marmite, I get the type of delegates that I love working with. We can have a laugh, we can have a joke, we can have a couple yeah. of drinks. And then someone that's not a different personality to me, obviously they're going to struggle learning from me and I'm going to struggle learning from them, teaching them, sorry. So I think, yeah, mm. it's being yourself because then you attract, but also I think marketing is also disattracting the people, repelling the people you don't want to work with. Not saying mm. there's anything wrong with those type of people, oh, but mm. they're not our, my, yeah, it'd be like chalk and cheese. So you don't have to, you don't have to have them, do no. you? You want to s- select the people that you want to work with. But, but the thing is, I, I think, yeah, I think filtering people out through your marketing is a great idea yeah. because it saves everybody the hassle and the time. And if they're not your people, that doesn't make them bad or you mm. bad. It just means they need to find somebody that they fit better yeah. with, mm. isn't yeah. it? It's, and we all know the people we like and we all know what our tribe looks like. And if, if that doesn't fit, then kind of move on and find the yeah. right, the right yeah. person. And I think a lot of young, and I was the same as I want to attract every patient, every delegate, because you think you're missing out. And then that's where you get the complaints and the problems is the people that you haven't bonded with because they're different to you. Yeah, yeah, definitely. Mm. definitely. I remember seeing there was a, um, a one-off documentary um, that was actually set on Necker Island and it basically followed Richard Branson around for a week or whatever. And I remember I watched it and, and I came away from that thinking that he kind of tells you as it is. Did he teach anyone to swim? I, I, no, no. I mean, I, I hear the, the last person he taught after Desmond Tutu was Dr. Harry Singh. Dr. Singh. Harry Singh. That's apparently the story. Desmond but, didn't drown. Did he? No. <laughs> no. But, but he, was, he was. He was very kind of um, out there, which surprised me in some ways because the marketing because virgin as a brand um comes across as quite inclusive yeah, yeah. it's it's it, it, it's quite mainstream there's a fun element to it but it is quite mainstream in its approach yet yet he as an individual um was was quite thorny yeah, yeah. um so it's interesting how that that's kind of you've got that core message from him but how that gets mm. passed through to the marketing of the of the business and the other thing i know is he's, it's very interesting actually sorry chris yeah you always have I was just going to say, sorry, it's very interesting. Yeah, they have their own message. It was quite interesting. I was on a train to Leeds on an LNER train that obviously used to be a Virgin train. So, but but it was quite fun. I noticed on the like the plug socket, it says, you know, use this to plug in your like your phone and your laptop. Don't plug in your hair straightener. <laughs> and then, and I was thinking that is obviously an original Virgin message, yeah, because it didn't fit with the LNE and yeah. Brian, which is exactly what you what you guys are saying. In fact, if they have this message that you go, oh, that's Virgin, yeah, but coming from someone else, it wouldn't make sense yeah. really. 
And the other thing that really fascinated, he still has goals. So he just um, reached his 70, he's about 72, I think. Every decade, he wants to go into space. So he goes, if I live on to 80, I'm going to fly to space mm. again in 90, fly to space. So even though he's achieved everything he wanted to, he still has goals that he aspires to. Mm. Was he was he likable? Yeah. I'm only asking because for for me he's, he's he's almost like a mythical creature. He's 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 kind of one of those people that you just hear about, but you never actually get to talk to people that have spent time with him. And is he as an individual? Is he a likable guy? Harry calls him Richard. <laughs> yeah, it's just that. Yeah. It's like well, when Richard. So. Yeah, and, and Richard calls me Dick. So. <laughs> so. <laughs> <laughs> so now actually, yeah, he's very polite because obviously there were a couple of because there's a buffet breakfast and he needs to let people go in front of him, even though he's in front of them. Yeah, he doesn't. Um, he doesn't really drink that much because because there was champagne around every corner of the island. It's like, okay, God, he must be an alcoholic or something. But there he goes, he just wants to entertain people. And he's also very sociable because he bought the island next to him, can't remember the name, for him and his wife. And he got so bored, he moved back to Neck Island so he could meet more people. So he's very sociable. Mm-hmm. People's person. Um, but yeah, very fit and healthy. Unfortunately, not interested in any Botox treatments I did offer um, with all the sun damage he has in his eye but he wasn't interested. Look at that. Never want to miss an opportunity, eh, Harry? He did actually call me because he was driving. Did you say? He was driving me in his um, buggy to get to the pool and he goes, you're just like a drug dealer, aren't you? You just get people hooked and they can't say no. (laughs) Did you say to him, I know you're not going to be interested, (laughs) however... There, but, so, now, so just on on the on the swimming thing, Harry. So on the swimming thing, did he teach you to sweep and swim? And do you still? Yeah, yeah, because um, yeah. So he's taught me underwater, and I just as we came before the podcast started, so I just come back from Morocco, and I, we had a um, resort a villa, yeah. and I was in the swimming pool every day. Actually, it was really good because my kids can swim, I can't, my wife okay. can't swim, but. Um, I just bonded a lot more with the kids because I was swimming with them all day long in the swimming pool. So yeah, brilliant. He's got that to thank as well. And was it anything to do with a fear? Wow, that's brilliant. Was it a fear of yeah, swimming yeah, or yeah, was no, it just the I fact think, you never quite got around yeah, to it? Yeah, because I used to wear, some I'm Sikh, I used to wear a turban when I was in school. And for some reason, the teachers wouldn't let me go in the swimming pool for swimming lessons. So I've, either they were scared of my turban getting wet because it wasn't waterproof or some other reason. So we never, I never had any swimming lessons at school and stuff. Right. Um, and then as wow, well, that followed you yeah, through. You get older, years. you get more, you get more scared of water, so you don't do it. Because when you're oh, yeah, so first yeah. thing I did when I had kids is to get them to teach, uh, get taught how to swim. So both of them are really good swimmers. Mm. Yeah. Oh, but I'd, I'd never call you an old dog, but you've you've learned a new trick, haven't you? Oh, well, <laughs> That's it. Woof. <laughs> <laughs> and 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 on on that, in terms of kind of learning a new skill, you've obviously said you're keen attender of conferences and courses. What's what's your outlook and approach to personal development? Because you kind of you you've gone through various iterations and evolutions yeah. through your career, but how do you manage your own personal development? Yeah, I, I love I love learning and progressing. Um, I'm an avid reader, read a lot of books. So normally I would dedicate one hour every night to reading, nine to ten. Because what what a lot of people do is on their phone, and then I found it was affecting my sleep. So nine to ten, nine to nine forty five, I read, and then the last fifteen minutes I implement. See, okay, what do I need to do? Action plan. Um, I love personal development more. Yeah, 
the actual learning, but also the people you meet, because you can learn from everyone. I'm very good. People don't believe it, but I'm very good at mm-hmm. listening. So when I meet new people, I actually don't say much because I want to learn from them because you're always going to pick up a few tips from everyone you meet. So, and mm-hmm. yeah, I would have a budget. So at the beginning of the year, I'd go a budget of about 15 grand I want to spend on personal development that year, whether it's books, I'm going to conferences, etc. So I'm going to Florida next month. I haven't told the wife yet. And then uh, Marbella. They are nice. They're nice. Look, I think what's strange and changed with me, instead of having the conferences in a dodgy hotel room, I pick more exotic locations now for personal development. But they do say mm-hmm. the environment does stimulate your learning. So in a new environment, really good environment, then you do learn a lot better. Mm-hmm. But now I love personal mm-hmm. development. It makes sense, doesn't it? Yeah. Mm. And also, I think if you take yourself out of your traditional environment, uh, personally, I find that's where my best ideas come. If you sit around with a flip chart and a pen and a bunch of people and say, right, let's brainstorm. They never come to you. You You're walking down a beach or going for a jog or swimming or whatever else you might be doing. It's hard carrying that flip chart. (laughs) What's too important? You You can be one of the sandwich boards that's walking (laughs) up and down the street and then put your ideas on. Yeah, exactly. Give me an idea. Give me a suggestion. I tell you what, I love the idea, Harry, of of setting a, effectively a budget and then finding things to spend yeah, that budget to fill on it in with, the yeah. year. So you almost reverse engineer it. So you say, I've allocated money and I'm going to spend that money. Because that could where, be extravagant lunches to experience great customer service, couldn't it? Well, yeah, and, and you would learn. You would learn from that. You'd learn from the yeah. outside of the industry. Yeah, I'm not sure it would help your waistline. Because <laughs> you, you would learn from it, which is good. Um, we, we always ask our guests two questions at the end, Harry. But before we get to that, just you've obviously done done so much. What, what's the toughest thing that you've been through in your life, and, and what, what what's it taught you? Um, good question. I will say because I did fail my finals in the uh, fifth year, so I failed my finals. I just got one of the exam papers um, completely um, messed up. Uh, so that was the hardest because obviously my parents were excited getting a qualified dentist, the first mm. family. Um, I think I lied to them. I, Big party. Yeah, I think I lied to them. I think I said to them, I did so well, they wanted me to stay on for an extra six months to help the other delegates, the graduates. So <laughs> I don't think to this, what a great yeah, answer. To this today, they know I failed. Um, so that was a hard, I was actually <laughs> crying, I was in tears. And I remember it because it was the, when Liverpool played, not Liverpool, England played Germany in the semis. Um, where Gascoigne was, I'm sure it was that, 90, was it 96? It was one of the semis at England. Oh, Euro 96. Yeah. Euro 96, yeah. Yeah, yeah, yeah. That's the day I got my results and failed. And then I was crying in the pub watching and then England lost the semis against Germany and stuff. So it wasn't a good day. So, But no, what happened was, as I said earlier, everything happens for a reason. So I got delayed by six months to yeah. VT, met my business partner in the Barnet VT scheme. So if I hadn't failed, I wouldn't have met him. Lifelong friends, really good family connections and other people I met that I would have met. Brilliant. So yeah, it was the hardest. See that? Mm. I mean, that's, the, the, yeah. It, but, but it's a lovely, it's, like you say, I, I think this kind of almost captures your outlook on life, which is, it was really hard, but look at the good and the opportunities that yeah, came yeah, out yeah. of it. Yeah. You know, you don't dwell on it and go, oh, not poor me, poor Harry, it all went wrong. You're like, okay, we'll crack on. And look at the, now looking back, you see all the good that came out yeah. of that. Because it wouldn't have, yeah, because you wouldn't have met those people and that, yeah, your trajectory would have been different. So, mm. No, yeah, no regrets, but yeah, that was probably the hardest thing at that particular time. 
Yeah, yeah. So to to to, to wrap up, we always ask our, our guests if you could be the fly on the wall yeah, with somebody in a certain situation. Um, when when would that be, and who? I've there? got an inkling. Have you? I'm gonna. I'll see if my well, inkling. I'll tell you. Is, we'll let Harry plays yeah. out, and then we can check. Yeah. Go well, on what would you go with? Actually, that? is a strange one. I would be in the final war when my parents went India and made a decision oh, in this God, country. <laughs> so yeah, the decision. Wow. Ah, wow. It's in your moments of decisions that your destiny changed. Because obviously, because they made that decision, my destiny is completely different. Mm. They stayed in India, so. I want to see their thought process. They've talked about it, but I would have loved to be in the final war in the Indian village saying, okay, we're going to go to England, leave all our family behind, leave all our education behind, yeah. and we're going to go in 1962. Yeah. They came over. So I would have loved to see the wow. conversation they had and reactions from their family. Did family stop them or were they encouraged? When they got onto a plane, were they yeah, is, yeah. Is this is this a big risk or are we doing the right thing? Because obviously they did it. Not yeah, a couple of suitcases and off you yeah, go. They didn't do it for themselves. They obviously did it for their future children. Yeah. Mm. Oh no, I think I think you're right. I think that would be amazing. That that moment where they look at one another and it's like they commit to it. It's like go. we're going to do it. We are we are going to do this. Yeah. Wow. What were you thinking? Yeah, that'd be, yeah, that'd be lovely. That'd be, that'd be a real special moment. It wasn't my inkling at all. No. I thought being a, a diehard Liverpool fan, because we've had it from a couple of diehard Liverpool fans, it's that Champions League, AC Milan, yeah, was it, or yeah, something? Yeah. Half-time or something, when you were down 3 nil. We've had it What did Steven Gerrard say? What did Julio, was Julio the manager? Or would it have been Rafa? Yeah, it was Rafa, wasn't it? Yeah, it was Not being a Liverpool fan, obviously. But yeah, that was the few Liverpool... It's interesting, there's quite a lot of Liverpool fans as dentists, actually, just thinking about it. Yeah, there are. Yeah, there are quite a few on. I think we've had one Gunnar. Yeah. I think there are more other fans. Anyway, that's the sort of casual. I think there are more other fans, but they don't want to admit to supporting the other teams. Yeah, perhaps <laughs> they keep quiet. Perhaps they keep quiet. I, I think that's a lovely story, that Harry. And then our last one is: if you could um, meet somebody, who would you like given the opportunity? And, and we always to, say, living or dead, yeah. fictional or real. Well, I met this guy a couple of times, but I would love to spend more time with him. Sachin Tendulkar, the Indian cricketer. Oh, ah, yeah. the cricketer. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Because I want to know the pressures he must have been under at every game perform mm. and it, like obviously as you know cricket is like a religion in India so and he was one of the, the mm. first what, major superstars after Kepo Dev how he performed and he was so humble down to earth the celebrity status didn't get to him he wasn't drinking wasn't going out how he maintained his lifestyle but also the pressure at every match because there's one wrong stroke and you're out and then the whole country's like depressed mm. how he one for so long, and two, how it felt. How did he cope with that pressure every single day of his life? Mm. Yeah. yeah, yeah. I think given what you were saying earlier about being keen on sport and autobiographies, yeah. I can see why that person would yeah. be a would be an amazing person to sit down with and have a, a conversation just to get into the mindset mm. as to how do you perform ongoing and truly and, and truly a sports great because it's interesting isn't it? I don't really know much about cricket at all but we I know, know that name I recognise yeah. and I know who that person is whereas you could mention other people and I'd have absolutely no idea who they are yeah yeah he's carried, he's carried fascinating. over yeah, yeah, it's fascinating yeah. like Shane Harry it's been an absolute yeah like Shane Warner let's so know about Shane Warner obviously he was another yeah. yes yeah yeah, yeah. unfortunately passed away but yes they have a personality outside of their sport don't they that sort of becomes them yeah. they're almost like a brand as opposed to their sport if that makes sense but, but, they're, 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 but they're kind of sort of almost like once in a generation <coughs> type yeah, people, yeah, yeah. aren't they 
you know there aren't there aren't many there aren't many of them um, that get to that that's a goat isn't that what it is it's a goat oh yeah, isn't yeah goat. i never quite understood what that was to start with who's yeah. the goat no i, ne- I never do the greatest media. of all time yeah. and they've gained a goat and i was going what was then i thought they were talking about the goatee beard yeah I'm, I'm with you harry i didn't have a clue <laughs> yeah i was thinking are they insulting this person it's just like you know what's that they're a goat they're stupid are they buttheads and someone explained it to me and i went oh okay time. get it now yeah that's because I'm old, though, I reckon. <laughs> yeah, that's what it is. Yeah. Yeah, that's um, social media for you. Yeah, there we There's go. See, young and trendy, there. social media. Meh, what's that? Yeah. It's been a joy, Harry. I think your your stories are great. I think um, the way you've you've kind of morphed and evolved through your career, but still stayed relevant and still got so much more that you're doing for the profession in, in your own way. I think, it's a, I think it's a lovely story. It that, is. That, that start point about your family and, and coming over from India, I think that is a real kind of roots of, of set you up well for, for a great career so yeah. far. Yeah. That's brilliant. Lovely. It's really good. Yeah, no, thank you guys for the invitation. Really enjoy it. Time goes quick, doesn't it? No. No, thank you for accepting. Yeah. <laughs> well, look after yourself. No doubt we'll be speaking okay. soon. Thanks a lot, guys. Thank you for listening to this episode of Dentology, where we discuss the business of dentistry. If you like what you heard, please do subscribe where you found this episode. That would be amazing. And also follow us on Instagram. <laughs>